What a privilege to be able to worship every morning when we gather. I love that. Thank you so much, Cammie. Thank you. I love it so much. just prepares our heart. Um, so let's pray. Father, again, we just praise you. You're good. You're worthy to be praised. Um, we thank you, and we love you because you first loved us. There's no other reason than because of your mercy to us that we had um, any reason or any, any desire. We had all reason, no desire to love you. And thank you for giving us new hearts with, the, with new desires and for your spirit and for um, just the grace and everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would be women who um, would just draw near to you through your word and what you have to say. And, Lord, um, we are needy and we are desperate. And, Lord, I am needy and I am desperate. So I ask for your help in um, speaking. And, Lord, I ask for your spirit and help to receive your word and to fall under your word and to submit to your word and to love your word because we love you. Father, I, I just... I thank you for um, the servants that are over in Wellspring Kids and their faithfulness. And I thank you for each and every one of these children that are there, Lord. I pray that you would work in their hearts, soften them to know you, Lord. And I uh, just pray, Lord, as, as we leave here this morning, that we would leave here more in love with you, um, convicted where you want to convict us of sin, Lord, and encouraged and spurred on and motivated to be diligent to pursue rest, the rest that we have in you and in you alone. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, it is really good to be here, and it is a really full morning, and so um, we are, we're going to get started, and will you guys remind me to tell you about this at the very end? But if, uh, if you don't mind, will you please turn your notebooks over, because every time we get together, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about the Wellspring Disciplines, um, because we just need to be reminded why we are here, and we are here to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church. That's us, to do something, to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with his word, with the word of God, so that, there's a reason, so that we live gospel-transformed lives. And it does something. It strengthens the church, the strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's why we're here And we want to understand and we want to unite our lives around these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines. And in Wellspring, we we, uh, focus on three. We focus on our hearts, we focus on our homes, and we focus on ministry. Discipline one is about our hearts. She prayerfully, um, sorry, Uh, I am going to. Wait a second. Yes, discipline one is the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God, with, um, toward God through the Word of God, and in particular the gospel. See, God transformed us. He transformed our hearts when 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 He saved us, and now we're new creatures. We are united with Christ. That is a that's a work of God. 
that's that one-time event that over there in the left column of our of our chart, and we're going to refer to this a lot. Um, but that's that one-time event. He unites us with his son, and now this new heart is in a mixed condition. That's the middle part of the chart. It's in a mixed condition. There's still indwelling sin in our new hearts. And the good news is that sin is, is no longer our master. But there are still the lingering effects. There's still a residue of sin. So we praise God that we're not who we once were. We were once lost. We were once dead. We were once hopeless. And we are not yet where there won't be that battle with sin. You know, that's heaven yet to come. So when we're in this mixed condition, we need to care for these hearts. We need to shepherd or feed our new hearts, our new man in Christ, with the truth of God's word. We feed, we shepherd our hearts with his word, with the hope that we have in the power of the gospel. His word tells us who he is, who we are, what he's done, and how he wants us to live. And because we're still in this mixed condition, we desperately need to get our hearts um, full of his word, Equipped in order to fight sin by his power walking in the spirit. You know, and just the reminder and, and the acknowledgement of my heart's condition um, that we're still in this battle is so helpful for me to understand. I'm in a battle. It's a great reminder of just how much my heart needs to draw near to him in his word, to draw near to my Savior. I need to be near him. I need to be near my Savior with this heart. Not this heart, with this heart. With all of me, right? So I keep going like this. And as I engage with with others, you know, either if they're in the same condition, I need I need my heart engaged in God's word and meeting with him when I meet with others or with I that are you know have hearts in the same condition or when I'm spending time with those who don't know him who need to know the hope that we have in Christ. Our hearts need to be exposed to him and his word so that we can see him. So we can see the one and delight in the one and draw near to the one that we've been united to, Jesus. And you know what? We have to be purposeful. We just do. We have to be purposeful and we have to be disciplined. These are disciplines. These are disciplines to grow in. We're not perfect in them. No one is. This is a lifelong pursuit. Lifelong. So if you're discouraged that, you know, you're not doing this diligently, you may be thinking, you know, uh, yeah, here I am. I'm already behind in my reading plan. Okay, stop. Your reading plan is a tool. It's a tool. Regardless of what plan you're on, it's a tool to just help you to draw near to your Savior. And so we just we need to be sure that we're that we're making that point. The reading plan is a tool, and um, just don't give up. Just we are here to encourage one another to persevere in meeting with God in His Word and drawing near to Him. So if you're discouraged this morning, <clears throat> start over. If you need to pick a new reading plan because that one is just not working for you, okay, pick another reading plan. Start over. Be just draw near to God in His Word. That's what our hearts need. He's, he's given you what you need in him, 
and he wants you to draw near. So let's enc- I want to encourage you, and then let's encourage one another in this to keep going and to keep persevering, okay? And um, Susan, can you turn the air down just a little bit, please? I hope you guys aren't cold. <laughs> cold. Probably. <clears throat> Discipline two is about our household relationships. Let's look at it. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Discipline two is about our relationships with those in our homes and with those who enter into our homes, those we spend, those we spend the most time with. As we shepherd our hearts, these mixed condition hearts first, and with those hearts that are drawing near to Him, fighting sin, pursuing Christ, delighting in Him, then we want to place a pli- and we want to place a priority on our household relationships. A priority in making a gospel impact with those that we come into contact with, those we live with, those who enter in to our homes, not neglecting those relationships, but seeing them as awesome opportunities to serve and to make an impact for the gospel there in your home. And discipline three is ministry. Basically, we step into people's lives as we continue to grow in these disciplines. We don't wait until we have them mastered, because do we ever master these disciplines? No, we never will. But as we are being faithful in our pursuit of them, we minister to others in the church and outside of the church. That's discipline three, with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling your ministry within your household. That's discipline two. You step into the church. You step into um, the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Oh, I forgot to pick up an outline. But if you would, will you please pick up, take out your outline? It says, are you passionate for salvation's rest? We're still in discipline one, the heart. Yeah. We're still in discipline one, the heart. And thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. And um, it's such a privilege I, to soak in these passages again and again and again as God continues to just reveal more of who he is and who I am. And um, Scott teaches this lesson in Build, and I'm so thankful that he, he gives us his notes and he shares with us and he shepherds us and he teaches us and he answers our questions, and we're just so, so privileged um, for that. But if you haven't, will you please turn to Hebrews? We're going to be in Hebrews all morning. Our passage this morning and next week is is uh, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. So we've, we've been in surveys um, until now. You know, we've just been kind of jumping around, and now we're, we're going to stay right here. We're going to camp in Hebrews. For most, most of us, we're probably familiar with verse 12, right? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it's piercing, right? But we don't want to miss the context of this very familiar verse. We don't want to just isolate this verse and miss right where God has placed it in Scripture. So even though there's a lot of emphasis here on the Word of God and our hearts in, in this passage, we have an opportunity this morning to see discipline one fitting into this greater context, this greater end, and it's salvation's rest in Jesus. It's in Jesus. But we need to start by reading all of chapter 3 
and, and then into chapter 4 in order for us to understand the context. So, if you will please turn to chapter 3. We're going to start there in verse 1. Will you follow along with me? He says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's asking them to turn their hearts and minds toward the Savior and consider Jesus. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now he's going to start to contrast Jesus and Moses. He says, Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are in, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he's going to start to quote Psalm 95. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your what? Your heart. God's voice, your heart. As when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me as I saw my, and saw my works for 40 years, Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray there. They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, that was the problem in the wilderness under Moses. And he's using this Exodus uh, generation as as an example to avoid. And then he starts making some application in verse 12. He says, take care. Who? Brethren, take care, brethren. He's writing to professing Hebrew Christians. He says that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. For we have become partakers of Christ, If we hold fast the beginning, our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, again, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear? They would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So, we see that. They were not able to enter that rest because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. So now he's getting to the point. He says, I'm concerned for you, Hebrew Christians. I'm concerned for you. There's a promise of rest. And I think history may be repeating itself. Verse 2, he says, For indeed, we've had good news preached to us, so as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and now he's going to start talking about God's work of creation. 
He says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disbelief, he again fixes a certain day today, saying that through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, again, do not harden your hearts. He's quoting Psalm 95. Um, written by David. He's the king over Israel who was in the promised land. He was in the promised land, and he's concerned. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he, God, um, would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. He's saying, that God re- God's rest was to be an example to us. How we rest from trying to work for salvation. See, we, we need to enter that kind of rest. Where we would only believe and not try to work for salvation. Which is really tempting for us, right? But that we would not work for that. So, on your outline, and we're going we're gonna to try to unpack this. But on your outline, there's a question for you this morning, and it says, um, are, are you passionate for salvation's rest? Are we passionate for salvation's rest? I wonder if anyone can relate to this. Have you ever been on a vacation or a long trip, and you're on your way home, you're driving, you've been in the car for hours, the kids are screaming in the back, you know, and you've got about 30 minutes left of your trip, you know, and at that point, you just, what? You just want to get home because you want to rest in your own bed. You want your own pillow. You know, you just want to get there. You're passionate, right, to get there. You're so exhausted. You're so tired. The kids are screaming in the back. And at that point, all you want is rest. You know, but it's really a certain kind of rest that you want in your own bed with your own pillow. You're, you're so close certain kind of rest and it would never ever cross your mind to at that la- at that point to just pull over you know and just take a little nap you've got 30 minutes to go kids are screaming you're tired you're exhausted you want to get home and then you're like ah, 30 minutes ago I'm just going to pull over and take a nap that wouldn't cross your mind and it wouldn't cross your mind if you're on the freeway and the speed limit 65 miles an hour and you go ah, I think we're just going to coast the rest of the way home and hit cruise control and put it on 25 and just coast that wouldn't cross your mind either right you know, you, you are going to be diligent to keep your foot on the gas and you're going to keep going. You're going to keep accelerating. You're going to be passionate for one kind of rest. One kind of rest in your home, in your bed. Your goal at that point is that certain kind of rest. You're focused on it. You're passionate about it. You're diligent about that one kind of rest. And as we look at our passage this morning, there's a bit of a parallel in the Christian life. And we want to, we want to have the kind of attitude that's here in Hebrews 4.11. So let's take a look at that again. Hebrews 4.11 says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Let us be passionate to enter that rest. The call here is to keep going, to keep accelerating, spiritually speaking. To not coast. Coasting is very dangerous for the Christian. And the pas- this passage is a warning. 
The Christian life is not about coasting at all. We're called to be diligent and passionate for one kind of rest, and we're going to talk about it in terms of salvation's rest. It's a big kind of rest. It's, it's the big kind of rest that God provides in Jesus. See, salvation is big. It's, it's so big, and we, it's hard to get our minds around, but salvation isn't just that one-time event. It's, it is, but it's not just about that one-time event. It certainly starts there, but it's so much more than that. So when we see the word in Scripture, um, salvation or saved, you know, it can kind of be a little confusing. And the New Testament salvation is spoken of in three different ways. It's talked about in a past tense way. God saved you in the past. That's that one-time event. Remember the diagram? And then there's this future tense, that third column in your diagram. God will save you from the wrath to come. And then there's a present tense. We are being saved. This is... This is the way God describes salvation. It's in a past, present, and future way. So the rest that we receive in Jesus Christ can be spoken of that way. Past, present, and future. And we are to keep accelerating. We're to keep accelerating for it. We're to participate in it. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 3. He says, We who have believed enter that rest. That's a past tense. We have believed and we've entered that rest. That's the one-time event. And then verse 10 says, The one who has entered his rest has also rested from all of his works. In other words, we've rested. This is, this is really important to understand. We've rested from our self-righteous attempt to make ourselves right before God. We've rested from that. That's a past tense reality for believers. And then there's a future entering of the fullness of that rest. You can write down Revelation 14.13 if you'd like. We're in heaven. We will rest from all our labors. In heaven, we enter a rest that we don't have right now. It's a rest to come when you die. A future tense that we won't ultimately be saved until heaven or until Christ's return. It's an ultimate expression of that rest with him in heaven yet to come. But there's a rest that we get right now in Jesus Christ. And that's the rest we're going to talk about. That's the rest we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 11 is a command. And it's in the present tense. It says, be diligent. Be diligent to enter that rest. So there's a a sense in scripture that we are, as Christians, still being saved. It's a present tense reality. Christians have entered God's rest. If you are saved, you are saved. And we're to be diligent to enter that rest. That's Hebrews 4.11. And we will in the future enter the fullness of that rest in heaven. So you might be thinking, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So are you saying um, that I've entered that rest, if I've believed, and that I am to be diligent to enter that rest? And the answer is, yeah. God's word says yes. Both are true. That's how big salvation is. So as we look at our passage this morning, you might want to start thinking about this question. You might want to just jot it down on the side. You have a lot of room to take notes. Um, You might start just thinking about this and then just go back to it later. 
Is there evidence in your life that you are being diligent? Diligent to um, enter that rest that God provides for us in Christ? Are you being diligent to pursue Christ, to pursue salvation's rest in him? Think about last week. Um, We're told to pursue salvation's rest that God offers in Jesus Christ. Are we passionate for that? Is there evidence of zealousness in our lives for that, for him? And it may be tempting to think or ask, you know, does it, does it really matter? I mean, I'm saved. So um, as we see in this passage, it matters. It's, it's a big deal. Salvation is not just fire insurance. It is much, much bigger than that. And we're called to be diligent to pursue it. We're called to participate in our salvation diligently. All right, so it's unclear who the writer of Hebrews is. But we know that he was writing to Hebrew Christians. And you know, there were some in the church who were genuinely saved. And then there were some who were not, just like any church, right? Like even Grace Bible Church, or maybe even some sitting in this room. But he was writing to this church. He was writing to a church, these Hebrew Christians. They were Jews, and they had left Judaism, Judaism to follow Jesus Messiah. You know what they heard? They heard Jesus' words, so to speak, in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. It's rest for your soul. And that was a really huge thing for Jesus to say. See, rest represented something very significant for the Jews because they knew that there was only one who could bring rest. And for Jesus to say that he was the one, come to me and I will give you rest, spiritual rest, that was huge. They heard, this is what they heard, you don't have to work to earn any righteousness. It's all been done for you. They heard the gospel. Well, they heard this and they believed and they followed that and then their fellow countrymen, the other Jews, who did not believe in Jesus Messiah, well, they began to persecute these Hebrew Christians for leaving Judaism. Some of those Jews who had professed Christ, they were returning back to Judaism, and they were starting to kind of live under Mosaic law again. These, these persecuted Hebrew Christians, they, they stopped pursuing Christ. They stopped accelerating, and they started to coast, spiritually speaking, and they didn't realize just how dangerous this was. And the writer of Hebrews, he's warning them. He's warning them, saying, you know, this kind of thing's happened before, prior to the coming of Christ, where God's people were tempted to not pursue God's great salvation with passion and with zeal and with diligence. It's happened over and over again throughout redemptive history. And the writer of Hebrews, he's warning the church. And he's telling them, listen, he calls them brethren, this must not happen to you, too. And ladies... You know, this is just a warning for us, too, you know, that we might, you know, we might be tempted um, or just even content to coast instead of being passionate for God's great salvation's rest in Christ. Look, things are going to come into our lives that will tempt us to stop being diligent, to coast. Persecution, that's what was happening to these Hebrew Christians. Suffering, life circumstances distractions and all of a sudden you realize you're just coasting what happened 
And we need to realize just how dangerous this is. We can get distracted and we can start to coast. My husband does this a lot when he's driving. And I talked to him, I, I shared this last year, and I, t- I, I shared it with him again this, you know, yesterday, and he's like, that's still funny. I, I can't think of a better analogy. So he's, he's okay with me sharing it. He, he's really, he thinks it's hilarious. But when he drives, he's really observant. And he starts to look off at stuff. He's like, ah, I didn't know that building was there. Did you see that building? And then you hear those bump, 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 bumps, right? You know, and then he's like, oh, he better get back over in his lane. Or he does, um, we're in the automotive business, and he, he's like, oh, that car needs that car needs a new exhaust. That tire's about to blow. And he's like, bump, 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 right? And he just gets really distracted. And he forgets to accelerate sometimes, too, as he's distracted. And, um, you know, I remind him sometimes. I'm like, um, honey, and now I, I, I don't recommend this, but I'm trying to be his helpmate most of the time. But sometimes I have the wrong motives. So, but you know, I'm like, honey, do, do you realize that you're like only going 55 and, and there's a 65 um, mile an hour speed limit? And most of the time, he said, tell them that I'm getting better at being gracious about that. So he is. He's getting. You know, we're working. We're still 25 years. We're still growing in that. So I'm learning to zip it, and he's learning to be gracious. But, um, you know, um, he, there are times he just gets distracted, and he doesn't realize. But you know what? The same thing can happen to me. I can start to let off the gas, too. Not because I'm observant, because I'm not. But I do that when I'm tired. Um, I do that when I'm not being purposeful. I zone out. I miss exits all the time. You can ask my friends. I don't, I don't do as well staying in my lane. Not even realize I've drifted below the speed limit at times. And that's not an outside distraction. That's just me. That's in me. So there are these external things and then, and then that are with, um, and then there are things that are within us that tempt us to just coast. We can just be coasters. My heart has a hard time getting a grasp on how badly I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and rest in him and pursue him diligently. I could be content in my coasting even for a while. And it doesn't always have to do with my circumstances. And this is just really dangerous. So this is a warning for us to keep going and to keep... um, Pursuing to accelerate toward and be passionate for God's salvation's rest in Christ. There's just never a time in the Christian life that we're not to be passionate for that, not to accelerate and be diligent ever. So as we look at our passage this morning, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Uh, yeah, and that was just the intro. If you're wondering where we are on the outline, intro. That was just the intro. There are three passions of the Christian who diligently shepherds her heart into salvation's rest. You have four in your outline, but there's only three in this passage. And number four is from a greater context, kind of a bonus one. But we're only going to be covering the first one this morning, and then we'll cover the rest next week. So these passions are in terms of questions on your outline. And the first one is this. Are you passionate to spend yourself to enter the rest that comes from God. 
to spend yourself. Are you passionate to spend yourself? See, as we look at Hebrews 4.11 right away, we have a command. It says, let us be diligent. And that is what is meant by spending yourself, to be diligent. The command means that this is something that uh, is not something that just happens. You know, when you become a believer or something that we do accidentally, it's, it's, it's being intentional. It, it's not something reflexive. You know, like when the doctor hits your knee and it pops up, that's reflexive. Well, it's not that. No, this is an action. This is an action where we must be very, very intentional. We, we must be purposeful. In other words, we, we here's some other words for you. We are to be zealous. We are to be eager. We are to be diligent. Take pains to achieve, to be thoughtful about something. And what is it? What comes next? Let's look at it. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. Not just any rest. It's a rest that's already been mentioned. So before we move on, there are three things that tell us we need to look back. You know, to help us understand this. That's why we read all of chapter 3 and and into chapter 4. But the first reason is the word therefore at the beginning of verse 11. Do you see that? So when we see that word therefore, we always ask when we see that word, what is the therefore? Therefore. What is the therefore therefore? And second is that rest. We have to understand what that rest is. And then the command. There's a sense of urgency in the command to be diligent, right? So the rest that uh, the, that the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is talking about, is this big spiritual salvation rest that is in Christ. And, and this is just this is what God's always had in mind for His people throughout redemptive history. See, from the very beginning, even when He delivered His people out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, He gave them some smaller rest. He gave them smaller rest to point them to and to help them understand the more important, bigger spiritual rest that salvation was and is. It's really gracious of God to do that. It's like, you know, when a dad gives <clears throat> his little three-year-old son, um, or he, you know, he wants him to ride an adult bike, but, you know, he gives his three-year-old son a little, a little uh, big wheel. Um, he doesn't give him a big bike. Right? He gives him a, a little a big wheel, and then he gives him, you know, maybe a tricycle, and then he gives him a bike with training wheels, right? All to prepare him, all to point him to the ultimate goal, the big bike. That's kind of a picture of what God was doing in the past. Um, when God gave cycles of rest in Israel, see all these there are all these little smaller cycles of rest that He gave, and, and they just weren't to replace or stand in place of the bigger rest. The bigger rest. Like the trike was never the goal. These smaller rests were never the end or the goal either. And I'm going to tell you about these rests in a minute. They're always to point to something beyond themselves, to a greater rest that God had for them. So God gave cycles of rest in Israel. There was a weekly Sabbath. That was a rest for a day. Every seven days, a rest came around. Every week, there was a reminder. There's rest. And then every seventh year, through there was a land Sabbath. And um, they were to give the land a rest for a whole year. And it came around every seven years. There's seven days, then seven years. And then every um, there was this really big rest. Every 50th year, there was a rest for the nation. And it was called what? Anybody know? 
the year of Jubilee, where if, where if they had slaves or had purchased land, it all went back to the Hebrews, and then the slaves could go free if they wanted to go free. So there was a rest that came around every seven days. There was um, a rest that was every seven years, and then every 50 years. Now, all of these rests for Israel were given at Mount Sinai. It's kind of important to understand if you can kind of, like, and I'll get our, we need to get our minds around this. Um, it was given at Mount Sinai in the wilderness prior to the promised land. And then the promised land, it was another kind of rest for Israel. That was to make them think about a greater rest that God always intended for them and himself. All right, so let's, um, we're gonna, let's look at Hebrews 4, 6 through 8, and kind of go back and see what I'm talking about. Verse um, 4, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, since it remains... Um, for some to enter that rest. Is that chapter 3 or 4? It's 4. Okay, therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, saying, Today, through David, so long after time, just as been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, that's in the promised land, he would not have spoken of another day. Another day after that. So there's another day. Here the writer of Hebrews, he's quoting Psalm 95, written by David. And now remember, what was David in Israel's history? He was, he was their king, right? He was their king. In the wilderness? No, not in the wilderness. He was already in the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, quoting David from Psalm 95, and he says, again, this happened. Again, this happened. David is saying today, in the promised land, Israel, make sure you don't harden your heart if you hear his voice. See, so you see Psalm 95 is written long after all the smaller cycles of rest were given in the wilderness. And it was written long after Joshua had led Israel into the rest of the promised land. So it was being missed in the wilderness. And now in David's day, he's seeing his generation doing the very same thing in the promised land. So it's very helpful to understand the writer of Hebrews, now in the New Testament, he's establishing a pattern. His, his readers, these Hebrew Christians, the persecuted church, is now in danger of what? They're in danger of missing the very same thing. Missing salvation's rest, the greater rest that is in Christ. Missing the rest that is only in Christ. See, God's big salvation rest that he offers is in continual danger of being missed. Let's look at verse 9. He says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So even though there are all these other rests, there's still some kind of Sabbath rest for the people of God beyond these. And verse 10 says, For the one who has entered his rest, the one who has entered his rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. He's saying, the one who has that Sabbath rest of God, that salvation's rest is the one who rests from working to earn God's favor. Resting from trying to do your own good works to establish your own self-righteousness. Resting from trying to do your own good works to establish your own self-righteousness. We give up on that. We don't do that. That made, that made them weary and heavy laden. Remember, Jesus said, come to me when you're like that. 
So there's a rest that is marked by the abandonment of works in an effort to establish your own self-righteousness before God. And we rest. We rest in Christ's righteousness alone. And verse 11 says, Be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent to enter that rest. So the writer of Hebrews now in his day is concerned that history is repeating itself. His reader, these Hebrew Christians, the persecuted church, are in danger of missing the greater rest in Christ. Especially if they're tempted to go back to Judaism, which is a religion of trying to earn or establish your own self-righteousness through works. And that's the rest that's here, uh, that is in mind here from the writer of Hebrews. But the danger for Christians at any time is what? It's the very same thing. It's the very same thing. But God's plan is that his great salvation rest requires believers to spend themselves or to be diligent. That's how he set salvation up to be. This is his plan for salvation. And we rest in Christ's finished work. And it's God's desire that we run. We rest, we run. We participate. Both fingerprints, right? But not to earn or get salvation. But once you are saved, once you are in salvation, we run and we run diligently. It's like rest, yet run. We rest, we run diligently. We're called to be diligent, to be thoughtful, and it doesn't happen accidentally or reflexively. So what would it mean to spend yourself? What am I talking about? What does that look like? Spend myself. Well, how am I to spend myself? Well, I want to offer two things, and I encourage you to write these down. They're not in your notes, but I encourage you to write them down. So I'm going to offer you two things, and if you're like me, you're like, cool, okay. So I'm going to spend myself, so I have my pen, I have my paper. I'm ready to make a list of the things that I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. This is awesome. Just give me the list. And I'm ready to go spend myself. Well, here's the first thing. Spend yourself to know. Spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners. That's you and me. Spend yourself to know the gospel and its work in you. Spend yourself to know that first. This isn't about spending yourself to do anything to get saved, to earn salvation, or to even stay saved. But spend yourself to know what Christ accomplished at the cross for you. Let's look back at uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's just go, let's stay in Hebrews. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 3. And as we look at these passages, you know, like let these truths penetrate your heart. You know, we're, we're to spend ourselves to know these things, to know what Christ accomplished, to know that he is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what Jesus did. It's finished. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. For salvation's rest, we need to spend ourselves to know gospel realities, gospel truths, gospel declarations. I want to, I just, I want to know this more. I want to know him more. Don't you? 
And we, have, we, we even have an awesome tool, like this chart. If you just work through this chart, oh my goodness, this would be such an opportunity to know and to draw near to him and understanding more of the gospel realities. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But we do see him who is made a little, more, a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for Everyone. See, he tasted death for us. He tasted death for you. Spend yourself to know that. Labor to make that truth rule over and impact your heart, to impact fear. If I labor to know that, what do I fear? Because verse 14 of the same chapter says that through his death, he rendered powerless the devil. He rendered powerless the fear of death. There's no fear in death. Spend yourself to know those gospel realities. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We've heard that word before, right? To make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's what Jesus did for us. He had to be made like us in all things to make propitiation for our sins. Remember, that word propitiation means satisfaction. It means satisfaction, but it's, for, it's not just satisfaction, but add to that word exhaustion. God's wrath is not just satisfied, but it was satisfied and it was completely exhausted. Completely exhausted. Remember, there's nothing left in the cup. Ladies, listen. Let this, let this reality penetrate your heart. Every time you sin, think about the last time you were convicted. Of sin. It doesn't even cross God's mind to go grab the cup of wrath because of your sin. If He looked in it, what's in there? Nothing. There's nothing left to pour out because it's empty. It's exhausted. He made propitiation, He satisfied God's wrath. He exhausted it. For salvation's rest, spend yourself to know. These kinds of gospel truths. You know, we're very forgetful people, right? I am. I'm so forgetful. So remind yourself. Remind your heart. That's part of discipline one. And then remind others of those. I need to be reminded. That's discipline two, discipline three. It's part of what preaching and shepherding, preaching the gospel to your heart, shepherding your heart is. That's what part of that is. So spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners. And then the second point to write down Secondly is, spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross. Spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross. Ladies, listen. It's not enough to just know it. We must entrust our lives to it. To believe these things. We must know them. Think and meditate on them. Expose our hearts to them so we can trust, believe, and be satisfied in him. Biblical salvation is about us diligently, diligently entrusting ourselves to gospel truths, to gospel realities. And now in hearing all of this diligence for entering salvation's rest, please listen very carefully. This is not a diligence that comes from uncertainty 
about whether or not God's wrath has been satisfied for you. That's just not it at all. Actually, it's just the opposite. This diligence, this diligence is a diligence that flows, um, or that overflows from the certainty. It overflows from the certainty that God's wrath has been propitiated, has been satisfied, has been exhausted by Christ for you, for me, for those who are born again, for Christians. So if you're a believer, you can be absolutely certain of that. And we're called to be diligent in that certainty, from that certainty about what Christ has accomplished. Have any of you ever gotten up really early to go um, see the sunrise? Anyone? Yes? Um, Missy, uh, did you go and get up and to go see the sunrise because you weren't sure if it was going to come up? No. You went to go see the sunrise because you were sure it was going to be there and you wanted to glorify God in it, right? Yeah. And marvel? Well, it's like that. See, this is... This is a certainty that you know what God has said. He's done. He's done. Get this. It is actually God's intention that your diligence, that your spending yourself, is from a confident trust. It's a confident trust that he, what he said he did, he did. So we run out of that certainty. We spend ourselves out of that certainty, not out of uncertainty. So let me ask you something. What are we at times tempted to do with things that we're certain of, you know, that we're sure of. Well, in this mixed condition, right, we can start mm, taking things for granted, you know, kind of get lazy, start to take our foot off the gas, and we start to coast about things that we're certain of, thinking like, well, I mean, I know I do have that fire insurance, And you know what? He said he will finish the work he started. And you know what? I'm just tired. I'm tired and I'm distracted. There there are so many circumstances in my life right now, so I just really need to go on cruise control and just coast. That's a really small view of salvation. That's a small view of salvation, and yet isn't this a temptation for us? I know it can be for me. But God didn't set up salvation to be that way. It's because of that certainty that we act. We act on his promises. And, you know, we just we participate and we run with diligence and passion. And that's just, that's how, that's how God designed. It's not how we may, you know, we maybe would have designed salvation, but this is how God designed salvation to be. It's his plan. And this is for his glory. It's for his glory. So in being diligent... Send yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners. And then spend yourself in entrusting your life to them. We all know Philippians 1.6, right? What does it say? I'm not very confident of this very thing. That is not what it says, right? Are you guys awake? I'm not confident of this very thing. No, he says, I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in me. And you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says he's confident. He's confident of this very thing. And yet, what does he say in Philippians 2, 12 and 13? What are we called to do? He says, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear 
and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do you hear that? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for or because God is at work in you. He created us for good works so that we would walk in them. Remember, we talk, we're going to talk about this throughout the year so we understand more about this mixed condition. And I think Suzanne covered this. But there are those three words that begin with P. It might, I mean, it might be helpful to understand that in our working it out. There's the penalty, power, and presence. We've been freed from the penalty of sin, right? We've been freed from the power of sin, praise God. But we haven't been freed from the presence of sin. We still have the presence of sin. That's that middle part of the diagram. So in working out our salvation, we are still battling the presence of sin, that sin residue. And we must fight that presence of sin, and we fight it with and from the gospel, diligently. With and from our new mixed condition heart. With love for Christ. So, okay, here's the summary up to this point. There is nothing accidental about spending ourselves. We need to be intentional. You know, when was the last time you accidentally ran a mile? (laughs) Never, right? It takes intentionality. And we are to be thoughtful or intentional in our zeal to enter the great salvation's rest that was achieved for us in Christ. So, spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners and spend yourself and entrusting your life to them. And the question I want to ask you is this. Is this your passion? Is this our passion? Is this our passion? Hebrews 4.11 says, Be diligent to enter that rest. Why? Let's look. So that no one will fall. Do you see that? So that no one, not just so that you won't fall, but so that no one will fall. And how do they fall? So we look at the rest of the passage. The rest of the verse, through following the same example of what? Anyone? Same example of disobedience. We must be concerned about just how devastating our disobedience is. Unchecked disobedience. So is it our passion to protect one another from falling? You know, our disobedience has an impact on others. And and they might fall if we give them an example of disobedience or of not being diligent to enter his rest. Are we passionate about that? You know, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that I get to teach this and that um, I'm just soaking in this and that I'm thankful for this this warning um, because we need to be concerned about this. And at times, I'm just not, honestly. I'm just not as I need to be. How about you? You know, there are times I can even make light of it. I can make light of my sin, of my disobedience. Now, I'm really well aware of it in others. I'm really, I can be, you know, I, know, I can see it, I can point it out in my husband more than I can my own. So this is a sober warning. So what's the answer? We preach the gospel to our disobedience. We preach the gospel to our disobedience. Romans 6, 
um, verses 6 and 7 says that knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That's what we preach to our disobedient hearts. By grace, you've been united with Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Why? So, so that we might be powerfully freed from the tyranny of sin. That, that's a supernatural power. So remember, when you're disobedient and, and, and you sin and it's weighing you down and it's so heavy, be diligent to remind yourself of gospel truths, of gospel declarations, of gospel realities, because the power to obey comes only from being motivated by the completed work of Jesus for you, for us. By his grace. So, we're to be diligent. We're to be diligent to spend ourselves to enter the rest that God has for us and that he is for us and provides for us in his son. And we fight. We fight. We're in a battle. But in talking about all this zealousness, it still may be kind of confusing. You may be thinking, that feels so exhausting. That feels exhausting. I've been a believer for so long. I'm so tired. How do I keep up with this zealousness? Have you ever known um, an older faithful servant? You may not see her being all hyper, you know, and this outward kind of energy. But you know what you see? You see zealousness in her faithfulness in pursuing Christ every day. And that's the kind of women we want to be. Faithful women. Pursuing Christ diligently. Resting in his finished work. Zealousness doesn't mean hyperness, getting all worked up. Or it doesn't mean an emotion, though certainly it can include emotion. If you want to get excited, that's great. You should. Get excited. But emotions come and they go. But this is not an emotional zealousness. This zealousness is about being diligent to spend ourselves to know what Christ accomplished for us and to entrust our lives to him. So in this warning, and um, this is a warning. This really is. It's sobering, isn't it? Do you feel kind of sober-minded? It's a warning, and, and it's an encouragement to, to be diligent, to spend ourselves to enter the rest that God has for us and he is for us, and that God will yet provide for us in his son Jesus. And maybe right now, you know, maybe you're feeling a little discouraged because, you know, you know, you haven't been diligent and you're feeling weak in this. Well, the writer of Hebrews knew what we needed to hear after that very sober warning. Let's read starting in verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, thank you that we can boldly come before your throne when we are weak. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy.
Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your precious word. And, Lord, I pray that we would um, just be motivated to love you more, to spend ourselves in entrusting our life and resting in the finished work that you have for us and your son. And it's in his son's name I pray. Amen.